0: Now before the festival festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. You do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash, except for the feet So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example, that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Here ends our Gospel reading. <clears throat> well, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on this most holy of weeks, on this Monday Thursday <clears throat> evening. Tonight we remember Jesus' last meal with his disciples. I've been reflecting on that. I've been reflecting particularly on who the disciples were who were gathered around him. Now, sure, they were his close friends. We'd spent, we believe, about the past three years wandering the countryside with, sleeping without a roof over their heads, and basically begging for food. On this night, though, they got a feast. They got their Passover feast in a room of their own. Which in one right seems fitting. Seems like it would be a blessed thing, especially during the Jewish holy week of Passover. And yet I've been thinking about those who were at that table with him. You know, that long table as Leonardo da Vinci painted out. Of course, in that most famous painting, everybody is sitting on the one side, which seems like would make for awkward conversation partners, right? <clears throat> a beautiful painting, but sometimes art looks better than it does in a real situation, right? <laughs> but there they were. The twelve who were gathered around their lord and their teacher. Amongst those twelve was Thomas would soon be known as the doubter, the one who would doubt his friends when they told him that Jesus was not dead, but had risen again, who told them explicitly that he would not believe their words unless he saw that resurrected Christ for himself and put his hand in the side of Jesus and in the, in the scars of his, on his wrists. Jesus presumably foresaw this dissension, this doubt. This doubt about the resurrection miracle to come. This doubt about everything good that would follow his death and execution on a cross. And yet, he was grateful that Thomas was there. He shared in this holy moment with Thomas, the doubter. And more than that, he washed Thomas's feet. At that same table was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who sought to set themselves up above the other ten, right? To be the greatest, to be closest to Jesus' side, right? To be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. These boastful people who thought they were better than everyone else. Now, mind you, Jesus had more than 12 disciples, right? Various times reported in the Gospels, he Presumably had hundreds, and at times maybe even thousands. Definitely hundreds, right? There were many more than the twelve. But these twelve were set aside as the special twelve. Representing the twelve tribes of Israel around the Messiah who would form this new covenant, not just with the people of Judah and Israel, the descendants of Abraham, but with the whole world. And these twelve guys were the closest to that miraculous event. But that wasn't good enough for James and John. James and John needed to be elevated above the other ten. And in their boastfulness, they pushed for that. And when they did, Jesus rebuked them and said, If anybody wants to be the greatest of all, he must be servant of all. He put them in their place, but he knew what was in their hearts. That if they could choose for themselves, they would choose to be greater than everyone else at that table. And still, Jesus wanted them there. Still, Jesus washed their feet. Also at the table was famous Peter, the rock on which he would build his church. But that night, that night, Jesus knew, Jesus said as much. Peter would deny him three times. In that most holy hour where he was put on trial for his very life, this disciple in which he would entrust the entirety of church, the Christianity that would follow after his death and resurrection, would be placed in Peter's hands. And yet Jesus, for that night, knew that Peter's story was one of denial and rejection. In front of everyone who he asked, Peter would say, He did not know. He did not know Jesus. Do not associate me with that man. In fear and anxiety, he said he did not know his Lord and teacher, whom he had spent the better part of three years, upended his career for, left his family for. That night, Peter would deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus knew this, but he welcomed Peter to the table anyway. Jesus knew this deep down, and still he washed Peter's feet. He got down on his knees and cleansed the feet like a servant of the one who would deny him. So infamously through the ages. And of course we all know that at that table too was Judas Iscariot who by that point, at least as the Gospels tell us, had already been plotting with the, <clears throat> with the chief priests and the temple police to make sure that this Jesus would be apprehended. Judas was there. Betrayal was already in his heart, in his mind. Him was clearly sanctioned with corrupt money from the temple. And corrupt evil within his own heart. His betrayer was at hand, and Jesus knew it. Unlike Peter's denial, where Peter could just say the words and no repercussions would really blow back on Jesus, Judas's betrayal that very evening would result in his trial and ultimately his death in one of the most painful ways possible throughout the history of the world. That was the weight of Judas's betrayal. Jesus saw it in Judas's heart. Jesus knew it full well. And still, still, Jesus welcomed Judas to the table. He shared in the bread and the wine with that man. That most sinful of men. And still, Jesus got down on his knees and washed Judas' feet. Still, Jesus loved them all. There was nothing that they could do that would keep Jesus from loving each and every one of them. And not because they would go on, all go on to great things. As we know from the Gospels, Judas would die that very night. Perhaps the next day, too. We know from the Gospels, too, that the stories of the disciples when they turned apostles would not always be perfect and easy or anything like that. But Jesus loved them anyway and poured out that love at the table, poured out that love on their feet, poured out that love on their souls. He cleansed their feet. He cleansed their souls. He provided the means of grace at that very table right in front of their eyes by which the whole world would be saved. We remember that this evening. They didn't come as all perfect and packaged and sacrosanct. But Jesus' love for them was. Just as Jesus' love for you is perfect today, tomorrow, and always. And we remember that and we give thanks to God now and always as well. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.